Shabbat Shalom. My name is Noel. This is the Unexpected Cosmology. Thank you for joining me tonight. And as I've been saying for the last few weeks, hopefully you consider making this a tradition on your uh, your Friday nights or your Shabbats as a, a single individual or as a family. And um, so I'm in a different environments than a different room than I was last week in the year or the in the week before. Uh, that is because I am in different, I'm kind of motel room or hotel room hopping. Last week I was in the Marriott. This one is a little bit more of a hipster hotel. Uh, but I'm spending my winter with my family down in Florida. This is our ninth year we, we do it. We ended on the beach. We're glamping uh, in a fifth wheel, but that doesn't make the best environments for uh, these kind of presentations. Especially, you know, I have a wonderful, beautiful family, uh, three children, but, you know, in a small confined space. Um, <laughs> those of you who have families can kind of envision what might be going on. So this is my office for the night in a hotel room. And uh, OK, so we are going through I, I can't believe this is already our fifth week. Pretty soon I'm going to lose. I'm terrible at numbers, so I'm going to lose count here soon. I know we're on the fifth week. And these tour portions are just flying by. Seems like we just began them. Here we are. And one thing I've been noticing, even in the last few days on YouTube, is uh, people have been, you know, jumping into random videos from the last four weeks, and they're, you know, asking questions a little confused. Okay. Well, if my camera is a little uh, blurry, then it is what it is. Oh, the whole screen. Well, I don't know. Hopefully it won't be uh, blurry for all of you. Um, so some of the questions people have is, I need to make this clear for anyone just kind of jumping into this video tonight. We are going through the Paleo Hebrew, all right, for these Torah portions. Now, if you don't know what the Paleo Hebrew is, it's the original Hebrew language. All of our Bibles, I, I shouldn't say all, but I think all of our Bibles um, are basically, they're going to be based on the Masoretic Hebrew. And the Masoretic Hebrew... Uh, came into being after the Yahudim returned from Babylon in the Second Temple period. Before their captivity in Babylon, they went by the Paleo-Hebrew, the original language. And so, of course, we're reading in the English. This is a Targum. It's a translation. And this comes through uh, the translator Pamela Glasgow. She is here uh, with us in this group. And one of the ways you can help support her translations uh, good, and I'm glad to see that it's clear for for everybody else. So uh, tonight, um, for those of you who would like to help support Pamela and her translation, she is translating the she's translating the book of uh, uh, Psalms, but she's actually right now translating all of the Torah: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You can go onto my Patreon uh, page, uh, get a copy of Bereshit, that would be Genesis, that we're reading through as a document, and that will help support her uh, and her translation. All right. Oh, the other thing, too, that people have questions on is that they hear me interchangeably saying Alahayam and Yahuwaha. They're like, what in the world? Like, Alahayam, like Allah? Like, what, what are you talking about? Well, in the Masoretic Hebrew, the name for God would be Elohim. In the uh, Paleo, it would be Alahayam. So Alahayam, Elohim, you can see that the, the semblance there. And of course, um, everyone knows Yahweh or Yahuwah. Uh, some people might say Jehovah. In the Paleo, we say Yahuwah. 
And one of the things we're looking at, as a reminder to everyone, as we're going through this document, we're looking at the, the idea that uh, Allah Hayyam is the father, and it's a big game changer, huge shift, big game changer that Yahuwah is the son. He was always the son. And so this, this idea that Yahuwah is the son, uh, you know, you hear all the time, like, where, where was Yahusha HaMashiach in the Old Testament? He just appears suddenly in the New Testament. And he says that Moshe wrote about me. Well, he was writing about Yahuwah, uh, and, you know, that's Yeshua, uh, Yeshua or Yahusha HaMashiach. So, uh, and what that, for some people, that's kind of a, a big stepping stone. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I'm not ready to go there yet. Um, for me, it makes all the sense of the world the more I read about it. And week by week, we'll start to see it more and more. So uh, let's get right into this. This is the death of Sarah or Sharaha. And unfortunately, tonight, I only have one. Ah, see, I just went crazy on me. Where, where, where did it go? Okay. See, I only, oh, there we are. Now, I only have one uh, screen tonight. There's a huge jumbo TV right in front of me, and I spent like an hour with an HDMI cable plugging it in to my computer and trying shutting on and off and all the different, and it just wasn't working. Like this TV is being frustrating. It, it did not want to recognize my uh, computer. So I'm going on one screen tonight, which is not, um, you know, it's, it's not recommended uh, for doing these live streams, but it is what it is. So I'm going to work with it. And let's start reading and I'll break into commentary. A lot of really good stuff tonight that I was finding. Really, you know, I originally read that this week and I go like, this is such a simple, straightforward text uh, tonight for this reading. Like, how am I going to break into commentary on this? And then the more I started reading it and just breaking apart, I'm like, this is some really good stuff. And it starts with the death of Sharaha or Sarah. And her presence is felt throughout this entire reading. Uh, from beginning to end, and and if you if you do the math on this, um, if you go like according to Yashar, which gives better dates, Yitshak was sacrificed or almost sacrificed uh, when he was 37 years old. Most people see him as you know a, a little boy, but he was 37. And when he marries Rivka, he is 40. So there's going to be three years is going to pass from the beginning of this reading to the end of the reading. So let's get right into it. Now the life of Sharaha was 127 years, the whole life of Sharaha. And Sharaha died in Kirath Arabiah, uh, in the land of Canaan. And this would actually be Hebron. She, she died in Hebron. And Abraham came to mourn and lament for Sharaha. Now, quick point here. It's really interesting that it occurred to me that she is the only woman in so far in the Torah, uh, maybe in scripture as a whole, I'm not really sure uh, that her lifespan is given of 127 years. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we see that with the, all the, the, the patriarchs leading up from uh, Adam to Noah. We get all their lifespan. We get afterwards with Shem and uh, leading on down to Abraham and so on. We get the lifespan of Yitzhak and, and Yaakov, but uh Sarah is, we get her lifespan, 127 years. Uh, interesting enough, that like, like I said, she also died in Hebron. And, you know, Hebron is a, um, 
it's an interesting little plot of land. When you, I started thinking about this because this is when, when Abraham separated from Lot, I think we saw that what, two weeks ago, he was told by Yahuwah to, to walk the length and the breadth of the land of Canaan. And he was saying like, this is all going to be yours. Well, the first place he traveled to and settled in was Hebron. And that's where we get the, the trees of Mamre. Well, it was at the, um, well, before we get to the three angels, if you recall, uh, when Lot was taken captive, Abraham took 318 men, uh, Eliezer was among them, and he went to retrieve Lot and the other captured by the four armies. So he he was living in Hebron at the time. He would have been insanely famous among the locals there at Hebron. They all would have known who this guy was. I mean, he would have had quite the reputation by this point. And of course, it is in Hebron again when he's at the Oaks of Mamre, when the three visitors, one of who is identified to us as Yahuwah, who I believe is Yahushua HaMashiach, uh, Yahuwah being the son of Avahayam, shows up and where he receives the news of uh, Yitzhak, the, the conception that is about to be in Saraha. Uh, now, just let's, um, I'll, I'll stop there for a second and then I'm going to keep reading and I'm going to talk a little bit more about Hebron. Uh, then Abraham rose up from the presence of his dead and uh, spoke to the sons of Chaff, saying, I am a foreigner and wanderer with you. Give me the possession of a grave amongst you, and I can bury my dead from my sight. And the sons of Chaff replied to Abraham, We listen to my Adon, who stands like Prince Alahayam among us. They're basically saying he's like one of the Alahayam. Choose for choose from our tombs a grave for your dead. None of us will deny his tomb to you where you can bury your dead. Then Abraham rose up and bowed to the people of the land, to the sons of Chath, and addressed them, saying, If it is in your minds to let uh, my dead be buried from my sight, listen to me and apply for me to uh, Aparab, one, the son of Sikar, and let him sell me the cave of Bimachpelah, which is within the boundaries of his land. He shall sell it to me for full value as a tomb uh, possessed among you. Now, Aparawan uh, resided among the sons of Chath, and he spoke after Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Chath to all who came to the gates of the town, saying, No. Adonai, listen to me. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you as a grave to bury your dead. And of course, Abraham is a little bit wiser than this. Then Abraham bowed to the people of the land and addressed. I mean, it, you know, there's been a lot of commentary on this and that it, it seems like there's something conniving going on. Abraham recognizes going, okay, I know I know you, you say you're giving me this land, but then I'm not going to have a receipt of purchase. I'm I'm not going to have a proof that it's not really going to be my land. And it's interesting, too, that Abraham knows that that Yahuwah is giving him all this land of Canaan. I mean, he knows that. But so it's, it's interesting that um, he doesn't want there to be uh, a contention from uh, – he knows that his Elohim is giving him this land, but he doesn't want there to be contention from the people. Then Abraham bowed to the people of the land and addressed – Eparawan, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce his name uh, in the paleo here, in the hearing of the people of the land saying, nay, if you if you are disposed to listen to me, I will pay you money for the fields, so accept it from me, and I will bury my dead there. 
Then uh, Apal Rahwan, in reply to Abraham, said, Adonai, listen to me. For 400 shekels of money between me and you, the land is yours, and you can bury your dead. Now, I'm not an expert here on shekels, but I am, uh, I am told that the 400 shekels for this plot of land was a lot of money. All right. So it, it's a bit of a contrast, right? The, one minute, like a minute earlier, he's like, oh, I'm giving you the land. And then when Abraham demands a price, if, if, that, if it's true that 400 is a lot, like he just really jumped there, right? Like, oh, free. Oh, it's, it's going to cost you a lot. And that, that kind of tells you that Abraham was on the right track. Like he knew that this guy was, was playing him. And uh, he, you know, that it wasn't really going to be his land. So Abraham listened to him and Abraham weighed out uh, to Rahwan the money which he had agreed upon. And of course, Abraham was good for it. We know that he looted Egypt, basically, Mitzrayim. He came out with a fortune. In the side of the sons of Chath, 400 shekels of silver currency. Thus he bought the field and the cave which is in it. And all the trees which were in the field with all the hedge around it. Thus Abraham bought it in the presence of the sons of Chath, of all whom came to the gate of the town. And after that, Abraham buried Sharaha's wife in the cave of the fields of Machpelah, uh, opposite uh, Mama Raha in the land of Canaan. And the field with the cave in it was acquired by Abraham for a burial ground for the sons of Chath. Now, the Hebrew word of Hebron is uh, i guess shavar and has the meaning of close association couples or companions all right now like yerushalayim hebron is considered by this sages to be a, interesting enough that the, the rabbinical uh sages considered to be a place where heaven and earth meet so it's a very holy uh plot of land like yerushalayim and you know i have theorized in the past that uh, when we talk about the the holy mountain that um, the sons of Seth lived on before the flood, that it's not just the mountain of Jerusalem. It's actually the whole mountain range uh, that uh, extends down kind of to the border where Jericho is, down to the plains, and it goes all the way past Hebron. Now, one of the there's two traditions where Adam and and uh, Hava or Adam and Eve are buried, and the, the common consensus, according to multiple texts, I'm not going to read to you, uh, them now, is that the bodies of Adam and his woman were brought onto the ark. Makes sense that they would. In fact, maybe all the patriarchs. I don't really know. But they were brought onto the ark and that Noah buried them afterwards. The question is, where did he bury them? And there's two locations. One is, the uh, the according to Christians, it was in Yerushalayim, in fact, directly over where Yehushua HaMashiach was crucified. Now, if you go to this day to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and by the way, uh, this is, you know, be very contentious probably to this group, but I have come to the, uh, I have been swayed that the actual Church of the Holy Sepulchre is the actual location where he was buried, not the garden tomb. Um, and... Um, there's been a lot of reasons why I've come to that. Uh, a lot of it is, you know, the Millennial Kingdom talk and understanding that this was a this was a actual medieval structure that was put there to, uh, for anyways. But the idea is that uh, Adam's cave is right there, 
right? So the idea is that the cave of treasures was right there in Yerushalayim. Well, if you talk to the rabbinical Jews, they say, no, it was Hebron, that uh, Adam and uh, Hava or Chuah were actually buried there, that Abraham knew it. And, um, oh man, I hope I have the, I had the text I was going to read to you guys. And now I don't have it. Bummer. This is what happens when you lose the screen, uh, the second screen. Anyways. So, uh, so Hebron's other name is Kiriath Arba. Okay. I looked into this and this was really interesting. It means city of four, city of four. Well, think about this. If Adam and Shua were buried in the cave of Machpelah in Hebron, so that's one couple. Then we have Abraham, Abraham and Sharaha. That's two. And then let's see, who else do we have? We have Yitzhak and Rivka. That's three. And Yaakov and Leah. That's four. And keep in mind that uh, Rachel was not buried there. She was buried uh, just outside of Bethlehem. But that's the four couples. So you have its other name, the city of four. And that would include, of course, Adam and Shua. So something to think about. I really don't know. I don't know where they were buried. Uh, you're not going to find their bones there now. Why? I mean, you're not going to find David's bones. You're not going to find any of their bones. And it's, I think, because the resurrection already happened. All the tombs are emptied out. There's no explanations for it. But you're not going to find bones in any of these tombs. All right. Making sure you guys can still see the screen here. All right. Um, all right. A lot of good comments on here. I'm sorry I'm not reading all the comments. The history of Yitshak's marriage. And I'm a little slower tonight because I'm switching back and forth here with this one screen. Abraham, however, grew old and advanced in years, and Yahuwah had prospered Abraham in everything. Then Abraham said to his servant, the chief of his household, and steward over all he had, I wish you to put your hand under my thigh and Take an oath to me by Yahuwah, the ever-living, the um, Alahaya of Hashamayim, of, of the heavens, and the Alaha of Ha'arat, that would be the earth, so that the uh, the Elohim of the heavens and the earth, that you will not take a woman from my son from the Canaanites, among, among whom I reside, but that you will go to my old family and take a woman for my son Yitshak. Now you notice here. I'm just gonna I'm gonna comment on this later tonight. I think if I if I can remember that the servant's name is not being told here. We know that the the servant is Eliezer. Eliezer is the son of Nimrod. All right, but it's interesting that his his name is not being mentioned. Um. Now. The the, the question on a lot of people's mind is why in the world is uh abraham so insistent that he not find a wife uh from the among the canaanites well i mean it, it makes sense right i mean we know that the canaanites are the uh, from incest with ham when he saw his father's nakedness all right but we will see in a little bit that abraham takes a wife from among that area but he is also insistent that yitchak does not go back to babylon and so I was like, what's going on here, right? Why can't he go back and choose his own wife? Why does the servant have to go? You know, why does Yitzhak have to stay there? And so on and so forth. Um, and he says, okay, yeah, beware that you do not take my son back there. All right. So here's something to think about. And I had to kind of check in with the with our local rabbinical sages on this. And they have, you know, they have some interesting points on this. 
so Yitchak had already been offered as a special kind of sacrifice. It's called an Ola, which is in what we would call an ascending offering. All right. It can also be interpreted as a stairway. And this word is related to making uh, something uh, uh, like the word Aliyah, which expresses an immigration to Yasharel. So whenever they, whenever the Hebrews would go to Yerushalayim, they would always describe it as going up, right? So this is what Yitzhak did as, as the type of ascending offering, and he went up. And to leave is called to descend, or the I think the word is yarad. Um, and so a Abraham, it seems, was adamant that his ascending offering, Yitzhak, would not be seen as going down by leaving the land. And keep in mind, this follows directly after that episode. So it seems like there, there's something going on with that. Uh, also to point out here with Eliezer, and again, his name is not being mentioned here. We could, I could turn you to other texts like writings of Abraham, Yasher, and so on and so forth. You can see this is Eliezer, the son of Nimrod. And if he's the son of Nimrod, um, he's actually, uh, he's, he's Canaan. He's one of the Canaanites. All right, so Beersheath 9.25, we read this a few weeks ago. Uh, then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And he said, this is Noah speaking, and blessed be Yahuwah, the Elohim of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May Elohim enlarge Yapeth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. So this is really interesting here that we have a... Um, uh, Abraham is a Semite. He comes from Shem, and and Eliezer is not. He is not Semitic, and he's actually he's taking this this uh this uh command from Noah, and he's following it to the T, saying, "Yes, I want to be in a covenant with Yahuwah, but I understand that I'm going to be a servant of Shem." Really interesting thing about because this guy. He's son of Nimrod. He comes from Damascus, probably super rich. Some people think he was a prince, a king. He gave all that up. He walked away to be a servant to Shem, right? So I love Eliezer. I mean, this guy has a true a, a true heart of a servant. All right, so where was I? Um, but the servant asked Abraham, if a woman does not desire to come along with me to this country, shall I return and take your son to the land from which you came? And which... Abraham, in reply to him, declared, be careful not to take my son there. So, and I already covered that, talked about that. The ever-living, the Alahaya of Hashamayim, who took me from my father's home and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and also took oath to me, declaring, I will give this land to your seed. He will send his Malak before you, his messenger, and you will bring a woman for my son from there. But if a woman does not desire to come along with you, then you shall be free from this oath, except that you must never take my son there. So obviously the, the servant, Eliezer, he's concerned. You know, he, he wants to get a woman for uh, his son, Abraham. But, you know, Abraham, is he's releasing him from this. It's like, if you go back there, you cannot find a woman for, for my son. It's not on you. You're released from this. Just whatever you do, do not let him go back there. Abraham's servant accordingly put his hand under the thigh of his master. If you read the Aramaic Targum, it actually says on his circumcision, you know, under the thigh. 
and took an oath to him upon this matter. The servant afterwards, let's see if you guys can read this touch here. The servant afterwards took 10 camels of his master and plenty of his master's wealth in his hand and rose up and went to Aram between the rivers to the town of uh, Nekayuar. And he knelt the camels outside the town at the well of water in the evening at the time when they came out to draw water. And he prayed, Yahuwah, ever-living Allahiah of my Adon, Abraham, turn now your face today and do a kindness to my Adon Abraham. I am here encamped at the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the town will come out to draw water. So let it be that when the girl to whom I say, hand me your bucket and I will drink. If she replies, drink, and I will also give drink to your camels, let your servant take her to Yitchak. For by that I shall know you will do a kindness to my master. Now, I, I, I was thinking about this. Uh, this is really fascinating. Um, before, okay, before I get to, um, so this is the first, again, that I can find the first instructional prayer in the Torah. There's going to be others that come along, but this is the first I could find, the earliest. And interestingly enough, this is not, um, this is not, Yahuwah giving Eliezer, uh, you know, a command. Like we don't get any evidence that he's ever heard the voice of Yahuwah or Allahayam. Like, you know, Abraham just earlier said that, you know, when he spoke to me and that this is what you need to do. So here he is. He, he wants to honor Abraham. He wants to honor Yahuwah. And he's praying to him and saying, look, I, I just I wanted I want what Abraham wants to come true. If you could just do this for me, give me this sign. It's really interesting. It's it's not, I mean, I think I just saw that today when I was going through it. Like, wow, it's it's actually not Yahuwah telling him to do this. He's actually telling him, if you can do this for me, give me this sign. And he he follows through with it. Now, there's quite a lot, uh, there's quite a lot going on here. All right. So Nahor, who is the brother, the brother of Abraham. His name actually means snoring, and it's almost like the uh, the a good relation to this would be like the Church of Laodicea, the, the lukewarm church. It, it's idea of like a hibernating uh, church where you kind of wake up and you fall back asleep, and you know it, you're you, as he he said you're neither you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, right? And you see that. The descendants of Nahor were from Shem. They were Semitics, but they were sleeping. And the city where Nahor lived was in Mesopotamia. All right. So they kind of like left. Um, they left with Abraham, but didn't go all the way. They kind of stopped and they were hibernating. All right. So he goes to this. He goes to a place where. Uh, OK, we're going to see tonight a little bit about the bride bride, you know, coming out of Babylon. And in Revelation 18, 2, we read this. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the Great has fallen, has fallen. Uh, of course, I believe that's uh, uh, Yerushalayim in this case, uh, speaking of 70 AD, but I digress. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. This voice 
coming out of heaven, we learn in the uh, the odes of Solomon that this is the Ruach HaKadosh speaking. And in the odes of Solomon, it credits uh, the Ruach HaKadosh to a feminine, uh, that she is speaking as the mother to her people, saying, you know, come out of, of Babylon, right? And we read this in Yeshayahu 13, 19. In Babylon, the great of the, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when Elohim overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. All right. So the command, of course, is to come out of Babylon, right? And of course, this is referring to Yerushalayim, but the spiritual principle still applies. The Babylonian society. So there's a lot of rich symbolism to be found in this story. Uh, we see that Abraham in this is a, is a picture of our Heavenly Father, Allah Hayam, uh, who also desires a bride for his son, the son being Yahuwah or Yahushua HaMashiach. The search for the bride of Mashiach is conducted by the Ruach HaKadosh, and uh, we could see that theme all throughout scripture where she acts as a mother and, you know, wants to see uh, the, the, the souls of uh, the father come to fruition. And I think that we see this being portrayed out here by Abraham's trusted servant, Eliezer. And of course, the beloved son in the story would be Yitchak, which is a picture of Yahushua HaMashiach. And I'll actually have a little bit, uh, taking a few notes, I'll be uh, laying out a little bit more on why Yitzhak uh, is a picture of Mashiach in here. As I mentioned, this is the first prayer of personal guidance we see in the Torah. Then we see 10 camels. And uh, I remember, I think, uh, Michael, uh, when we were going through the Targum, I think he had some, I had. I should have referred back to what he said, but th there's some thought that these 10 camels uh, could refer to the 10 divorced tribes. Uh, that they were released from the land, they actually became the goyim, and then they were brought back. And so what we see the camels doing is, is they're getting down on their knees in a humble position in front of the water. And the water is a uh, generally an understanding of the Torah. Um, you know, Yahushua HaMashiach says he is the water of life, all these kind of things, but he is the word, he is the Torah. Now, the root of the Hebrew word for camel means to ripen or to wean. And uh, like, as I mentioned, could the 10 camels be the 10 lost tribes who are being weaned from paganism as they're kneeling, you know, in front of the waters of Torah. Now we get to the, I guess I'll start reading. We get to the, the well. So let's see what happens. Let's see. Is this scrolling up? Okay. Hold on, guys. All right. And so... And it so happened as he was coming to an end of his prayer that Rabukuha uh, or Rebecca or uh, Rivka, who was the daughter of Bathuel, the son of Melkaha, woman of Neka, uh, Nahor, the brother of Abraham, came out with a bucket upon her shoulder. And the girl was very beautiful to look upon, a Bethula. No man had sexual intercourse with her. And she ran to the well, filled her bucket, and drew it up. The steward was delighted and spoke to her and said, Will you give me a drink of, of a little of the water from your bucket? All right, pause. Uh, we're at a well, all right? And uh, a, a well is kind of 
known in the Bible as kind of like it's it's where people become a couple, right? It's where men meet women. So we we see this with Eliezer uh, finding a wife for Yitshak and the person of Rivka at uh, at that well. But uh, we're going to see in a little bit uh, later on tonight. Abraham meets uh, Keturah at the well of Shiva after the de the death of Saraha. Uh, we see Yaakov. We'll see that in so many weeks. Yaakov meets Rachel at a well. Moshe meets uh, Zipporah at a well. And uh, one thing we're not going to see in these Torah portions is Ruth meets Boaz at a well. And then we, of course, have a very kind of a provocative moment when uh, Yahusha speaks to the woman at the well. And her name, according to uh, Christian tradition, church tradition was Fotin of Samaria. She was uh, later killed in 6680 under Nero. Uh, now on the issue of the uh, Betula, you guys have heard me talk about this in the past, that uh, uh, my after reading Hebrew Revelation, and it talks about the 144,000, it specifically says that they are Betulas, all right? And this is found in Revelation 14, verse, uh, uh, I think verse, four all right 14 four really 14 one through five and uh you know i i, I am of the opinion i could be wrong I, i'm willing to admit i'm wrong but i am of the opinion that the hundred and forty-four thousand are women they are betulas there is never if if they are men okay because people you know the, the men get really insulted at this because they are so hoping that they could be one of the hundred forty-four thousand. you know they i'm just like crushing dreams here uh personally by the way uh i think that this 144,000 count was fulfilled by 66 67 88 70 AD. it was a count of a certain amount of individuals whether they were men or women uh, i think there were women but maybe both it was fulfilled at that time and people are like well what happens next i don't know maybe there's a count of a million i don't know that there's new counts but the prophecy was specifically for that generation, fake true generation. It was 144,000 Betulas, all right? And as I was saying, that uh, Betula is used all throughout Scripture. The first time we see the word is with Rivka. She's referred to as Betula, which means she had never had sexual intercourse with a man, and she did not take part in the idolatry, uh, which we actually uh, see again with the 144,000. They're virgins. They don't take part in the sins of women. All right. Uh, like the, the morning for, I, I gave the example of the morning for Tammuz. That would have been a very real reality back in Babylon. And apparently Rivka did not take part in the morning for Tammuz. All right. And she ran, okay. She ran to the well, filled her bucket and drew it up. All right. And I read all that. All right. And he asked her, will you give me a drink of a little of the water from your bucket? And this is, this is the reply. Drink, sir, was her reply, and she tripped on and lowered her bucket to her hand and gave him a drink. I, I think this scene is just so, like, beautifully, just, it, it's a beautiful scene. I mean, like, he, Eliezer gives this prayer, and the first woman, you know, like, he's waiting. He knows that all the women from the town are going to come out. The first young woman to come out, like, she repeats verbatim. Exact, she does exactly what he prayed that the, the wife of Yitzhak would do. When she had given him to drink, she added, and now I will draw for your camels that they may all have a drink. I mean, that just, like that moment, he had just been like, 
oh my goodness. Like he just prayed this and it, then it happens. Then she ran and carried her bucket to the spring and dipped it into the well to draw. And she drew for all the camels, all 10 of them. That had, be, that had to be a lot of work. The man watched her silently to know whether or not Yahuwah, the ever living, had granted prosperity to his journey. And when she had watered all the camels, then the man took a brooch of gold of half a shekel and placed on her arms two bracelets and said, My girl, will you now ask the men of your father's house for a place for us to lodge in? And she answered, I am the daughter of Bathuol, the son of Malachah, whom she had to of Nahor. And she continued, we have plenty of straw and fodder and room enough for you to lodge. Then the man bowed and thanked Yahuwah, the ever-living, and said, thank Yahuwah, the ever-living, Alahiah, of my Adon Abraham, who has not forgotten his goodness and truth to my master. For Yahuwah, the ever-living, has led me to the house of the brother of my master. And the girl ran and reported to the house of her mother, as it is here related. And Rivka had a brother whose name was Laban. Then Laban rose to go to the man. We're going to find, of course, at a later hour that Laban is not good news. Then Laban rose to go to the man who rested near the well when he saw the brooches and the bracelets on the hands of his sister and heard the words of Rivka, his sister, that the man said this to me. He went to the man who remained by the well with his camels and said, come in, you blessed, you blessed of Yahuwah. Why do you stand outside when I offer you the house and a stable for your camels? It's interesting that he seems to know who this God of Abraham is. I mean, maybe maybe he's hustling him. Maybe he's playing him. Maybe Rivka was the, the first to tell him about Yahuwah, but he comes out and he's like, you're, you know, Yahuwah is your, your Elohim, uh, your Allah Hayam. Like, yeah, and, you know, the way he addresses it, it's really kind of interesting. Then the man entered the house and he unloaded the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the young men who were with him. He also placed food before them, but he replied, I will not eat until I have delivered my message. Speak, he said. I am the servant of Abraham, he answered, and Yahuwah, the ever-living, has prospered my Adon very greatly, and he has given to him sheep and oxen and silver and gold and men and women servants. I don't know what that loud noise was. It was like, Sound like an ice maker was in my room. It was really strange. What was I? Uh, he's given him uh, men and women servants, camels and asses. Shara uh, Aha also, Adonai's covenant woman, had a son to my Adon, a son in his old age, and he will give him all he has. Sounds like a pretty sweet deal. Now my Adon has pledged me to say, take not a woman for my son from the daughters of Canaan, among whom I reside in their land, but go instead to the home of my father and choose a woman for my son from among my own family. I replied to my master, perhaps the woman will not come with me. Then he said to me, Yahuwah, the ever-living, who has caused me to walk in his presence, will send his malak along with you, his messenger, and he will guide you in your path so as to secure a woman for my son from among the children of my own tribe and from the home of my father. So take an oath to me that you will go to my tribe. And if they will not give to you, 
you shall be free from your oath to me. And I came today to the well and said, so it's kind of almost really important, I think, that he added there, like he gave the whole story. He said, look, like if if nobody wants, if, if I can't find anybody to come back with me, it's okay. Like it's not on me uh, that he has freed me from this, that I can't, because in a way, Laban could have used that to his own benefit to, you know, to really like almost like blackmail him almost. So this this takes all the pressure off Eliezer, and it doesn't matter whether Laban releases Rivka or not. Like it's not on him. And I came today to the well and said, Yahuwah, the Alahaya of uh, Adonai Abraham, if it pleases you, point me to the path that I should follow. See, I have arrived at this well of water. So let it be that when a young girl comes to draw, when I say to her, give me a little water from your bucket, and she answers to me, drink yourself, and I will also draw for the camels, she shall be the woman Yahuwaha will grant to the son of my Adon. The speech had not come to the end of my lips when Rivka approached with her bucket upon her shoulder, and she dropped it into the well and drew. Then I said to her, pray, give me to drink. And she quickly lowered her bucket from off her and said, drink, and I will also water your camels. And of course, you know, uh, Rivka would be right there to back up and be like, hey, that is what I said, uh, verbatim. So I drank and she watered the camels as well. Then I inquired of her and asked my girl, who are you? And she replied, the daughter of Bavuel, the son of Nahor, whom uh, Malakaha had to him. So I placed the brooches on her brow and the bracelets upon her hands. Then I bowed to Yahuwah and worshiped and thanked the ever-living um, Alahayam of my master, Abraham, who had been kind to me, leading me in the right way to the house of the brother of my Adon for his son. And now, if it is your will to show kindness and truth to my master, inform me. And if not, tell me so, and I will turn to the right or to the left. Then Laban and Bathuel answered and said, This has proceeded from Yahuwaha. We are not able to say to you either good or ill. See, Rivka is before you. Take her and go. And she shall be a woman to the son of your Adon, as Yahuwah the ever-living has directed. And when Abraham's steward heard their words, it again, just to point out, it's really interesting. It never says his name. Just throw that out there. Even though we know him to be Eliezer. He bowed to the ground to Yahuwah. The steward also brought out ornaments of silver and ornaments of gold and clothing and put them upon uh, Rivka and gave treasures to her brother and mother. All right, pause. There was some stuff I wanted to cover here. Now, First off, imagine what would have happened. I, I mean, I was thinking about this this week. Imagine what would have happened if Rivka had not shown that kindness. Like, she would have completely missed out on an amazing life. Uh, out of idolatry, um, out of a pagan culture, you know, being led as a matriarch into this great promise. With, with Yitzhak, who, if you followed me last week, I'm actually... I, I did a recording earlier today. I wrote a paper this week. It should be released this week on the divine conception of Yitzhak. All right. And we see a similar scene with Lot and the two angels that came into Sodom. When Yaakov, uh, James, is writing the New Testament about be kind to strangers because you never know if they're an angel, he's referring to the situation with Lot and the two angels. 
had Lot not been kind to those two angels and gone out of his way to say, come to my house. I mean, when was the last time you went up to stranger and be like, come to my house and feast with me? Um, he probably would have died. He probably wouldn't have made it, right? And I went over the, the, the salt covenant. He actually had a salt covenant with them in which they had at that point to honor him and protect him. And we see something similar with Rivka. Uh, you know, this is actually a, a Malak, a, a messenger of Yahuwah. Eliezer isn't an angel per se, but he is a messenger for for Yahuwah. And, you know, that kindness uh, took her places. We don't know if any of the other women, I mean, for all we know, there could have been other women totally snubbing him. We really don't know. Uh, let's see. We Oh, we, there, point out some other women here who... Um, also were blessed or brock because of their uh, their being kind to strangers. We see this with Ruth, Ruth 3.10. And then he said, blessed are you, Ruth of Yahuwah, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. We see this with Yahushua. This would be Joshua, the book of Joshua 2.12. And this is speaking with uh, the Jericho situation with Rahab, the prostitute. Now, therefore, I, this is Rahab speaking, beg you, swear to me by Yahuwah, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. We know that she and her household were saved because she showed kindness to the the Hebrews. We see this in Romans 2 4. So this is Paul speaking. Or do you spot or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering? Not knowing that the kindness of Allah Hayam leads you to repentance. Again in Ephesians 4 32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Adonai in Mashiach forgave you. All right. Now I want to deposit this one point because it's really interesting that uh, Rivka's brother Laban, he gets really excited when he sees gifts. Remember that? Like he he saw the, uh, I think there was like a bracelet or something. His his sister comes in. He's like, what? And she's like, well, this guy, he's giving gifts. And so he runs out there and he invites this guy into his home based on the idea like he wants, you know, presents, right? It's my birthday today, right? Like give me presents, right? All right. Well, the word, the name Laban actually means white. And it's where we get the, the word albino, interestingly enough. I don't know if he was an albino. Maybe he was. You know, a lot of these people were, I am, I'm convinced, I've said this in the past, I'm convinced that a lot of these people were giving these names afterwards. Um, well, white can be a symbol of righteousness, but not in his case. Uh, Laban is a picture of wickedness and greed. Uh, in the Aramaic Targum, in the scene, I'm not going to really go into this, but he actually like poisons somebody in the scene. Like he kills somebody. Like Laban is not a good dude. Well, when speaking of the the, the Parashim, who were the corrupt controllers of the land, Yehusha HaMashiach says this, for you are like whitewashed tombs. And, and the key there is whitewashed, like Laban, right? Like albino. You are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautifully outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones in all uncleanness. And that is a perfect picture of Laban. So 
we're going to see that Eliezer, we're kind of right, I pause right where Eliezer's passing out gifts. Now, he hands out two types of gifts. He hands out gifts to both the bride and her family. And, of course, Rivka is a picture of the bride of Mashiach that is called out of Babylon, right? Come out of her, my people. She's the only one that comes out. None of the family follows. They could have followed her, just like uh, just like the same family didn't follow Abraham all the way, right? They were not interested in coming out of Babylon. And the problem is, is that many believers are fooled into thinking that they are saved or on good terms with Allah or Yahuwah because they too have been given gifts of the Spirit. It, this is one of the things that I've really changed, I'll say the word rhetoric. I've changed my, the way I talk about charismatic cultures. And for the longest time, charismatic culture, uh, the charismatic communities, uh, denominations have really bothered me. They still do, by the way, because they they really put this huge emphasis on the gifts of the spirit. And for them, you go into a lot of these denominations, they are so unclean and they're just... They're just filled with sin and, and not a pursuit of holiness or righteousness. And I don't need to, you know, mention that like some of these people are on their butts barking like a dog saying that it's the Holy Spirit speaking through them. I mean, what a way to treat, you know, the, the, the Ruach HaKadosh, the mother wisdom, like, like a whore, basically. But th they have all these gifts and they really emphasize these gifts and they think they're good to go. But it's not the same thing as receiving a garment, all right? Whenever we see, like when a Adam and Chua or Ava were dressed in the garden, it was with these purple clothes, that purple being like the, the most ultraviolet lights. I mean, this would be like a blinding light that was the Ruach HaKadosh. We see these same robes handed out in Revelation, other passages, I think Second Esdras, uh, which is always a reference to the Ruach HaKadosh, right? You have to be handed the garments. And only, only Rivka in this passage is handed garments. I mean, think about that. She's handed these bridal garments. He gives them to her, but he, he gives out gifts to the family. But that doesn't mean that they're a Hebrew. That doesn't mean they've crossed over. It doesn't mean that they're on the path to salvation. And they, they might be fooling themselves into that. They're kind of beating a dead horse at this point. Um, all right. And so just turning to Revelation. Uh, since I brought this up, Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out, blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Isn't that interesting that, like, everybody's name at some point is written in the book of life, and then there comes a time where it's blotted out. Yikes. Revelation 19, 8. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. So there you go. It's it's linen. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. All right. Um, and, you know, some people would say that Rivka's family was not called to live in the land. I kind of, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, they knew. They knew that, they, that with Nahor, that, they kind of came out of Babylon and didn't go all the way. They didn't go all the way with Abraham. They, I think they, they knew their calling, and I think that they wanted to stay in Babylon. They totally could have come into Canaan. They totally could have come into land. 
you remember with Lot, right? Like, you know, he was kind of with Abraham, but then he separated and it was really over greed and, and private property. You know, I, I think that they were called uh, with her. They totally could have gone. Um, some uh, passage that came up in this, uh, Matthew 1037. This is one that means a lot to me. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. I don't know who it was uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was a woman. She brought up, uh, maybe she's listening right now. She brought up uh, that this is actually a mistranslation, that it should read tent. And he who does not take his tent and follow after me is not worthy of me. That's really fascinating because this passage took place during Sukkot. Now, it, he hadn't died on the cross yet. And so you figure that people, if he said, take his cross and fall after me, he's not worthy. And people are like, what are you talking about? Like, why am I picking up a cross and following you? But in the context, if he were to say it's Sukkot's and they're out in tents and he's like, hey, pick up your tent and fall after me, they'd be like, that makes sense. I get that. All right. One more. You're Miyahu 616. This says, Yahuwaha, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. All right. Let's see. Where was I in this? Um, let's see. Okay. We read all this. Um, I think. Well, let me just start again. Um, they get, Oh, yeah. They gave treasures to her brother and mother. Uh, keep in mind it wasn't a garment. Then they ate and drank, he and the men with him, and rested. And rising in the morning, he said, I will now return to my Adon. The brother and mother, however, said, let the girl remain with us a day or two. After that, she shall go. I, I feel like, you know, man, it's like in this Middle Eastern culture, they all like, they're always bartering, right? And they always like, they they act real friendly on the outside, but underneath it's like this, like, almost like this hostility. Like they have these plans that I think they were going to try to, get something out of Eliezer, and then kind of play him. And again, if you read the Aramaic Targum, which I'm not going to do tonight, um, I I think Laban tried to kill Eliezer. Like, he wasn't he wasn't a cool dude. He, he, however, replied, if she will not go with me, then Gahawaha will prosper the way of return, and I will go back to my Adon. Oh, man, imagine that. Like, like this guy shows that you're living your life. According to the book of Yasher, she's 10 years old. All right. She had to have been a woman by this point. Um, you know, she had to have had her period. And you're going out, you're just going out to get water at the well like you do every day. This guy's there. And you're now having supper with him that same day. And he's like, you got to come back with me now. You got to get up, uproot yourself, go back. The dude's rich, right? But like, you got to give everything up right now. Um, then they said, let the girl be called and ask her own self. So they called Rivka and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, was her reply. So, you know, just so there's no like false accusations here, nobody like coerced a little young woman into this. Like nobody, you know, pushed her into this, forced her. Like you get this perspective that her brother and mother aren't really that thrilled about her. They, they like the gifts. They're not really, really thrilled with this arrangement. She voluntarily goes on her own. She's like, I want to make this 
uh, Elohim, Yahuwaha. I want him to be my, uh, my, you know, my God, right? Um, she wanted to be in a covenant with him. I will go was her reply. They therefore sent off Rivka, their sister, with her nurse and the steward of Abraham and his attendants. And they gave Rivka their blessing and said to her, you are our sister, increase the thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of their enemies. Then they lifted Rivka and her attendants and placed them upon camels, of course, the ten camels. And they rode after the man, and the steward took Rivka and departed. All right, before we get to Yitzhak, let me see uh, what we have here. Well, let me, um, I guess I'll go ahead and finish this passage, and then I'll talk a little bit more about it. We're actually doing really good on time tonight. It, this is There isn't much more to this. Now, Yitchak was traveling towards the well of the vision, for he resided in the south country, and he had come out to meditate in the field at the approach of evening, and there he raised his eyes and looked and saw camels coming. Rivka also raised her eyes and saw Yitchak. It dismounted from her camel and asked the steward, what man is that who walks in the field? And the steward replied, he is my Adon. So just notice here that uh, Yitchak does not see Rivka on the camels. It says he saw the camels. He didn't see the young woman. However, Rivka sees the young man in the field. Well, he's not a young man. He's like 40 years old. Uh, he sees the man in the field and asks who this man is. Perhaps there's some uh, symbolism there. I know that the... <laughs> I know the, the rabbis have spoken much on that uh, observation there. So she took a veil and put it on. I think that's like, that picture is just like, it, it gives me chills. Like, you know, she sees, she's come this long ways and she sees a man praying in a field and she's like, who is this guy? And, and Eliezer says, that's, that's my Adon. That's, that's the son of Abraham. And she immediately puts on this veil. She, she, uh, she slides off. And then the steward reported to Yitchak all the things that he had done. And Yitchak brought her to the tent of his mother, Sharaha. So he took Rivka and she existed a woman to him. And he loved her. And Yitchak was comforted after his mother. Okay, there's a lot going on here that I want to talk about. So the first, the first observation is that we see that Yitchak has moved from Hebron to the well of vision. He's, it says he's dwelling in the south. Well, wait a second here, because this, this same well was the one that Hagar, Hagar went to. And so the question is, why in the world did Yitchak go to Hagar's well? Um, why is this detail important? Now, the, the, the thought is that he went there to reconcile with his stepmother, Hagar. Um, and I think, I think we're going to read next week that he's still dwelling there after his father's death. Um, now the, the rabbinical cultures, like if you read, uh, religions of the Jews, they claim I'm getting ahead of myself here, but they claim that Keturah, we're going to see in the next passage is actually Hagar. The Abraham goes and marries Keturah. And I actually don't agree with that. I'll be talking about that in a second. All right. Really quickly, here are some of the ways that Yitchak uh, and Mashiach 
can be compared here. Uh, the first was his miraculous birth. Now, it was a miraculous birth, and I've talked about much more than I think most people will care to acknowledge, that it was, you can't call it an immaculate conception, uh, and that's kind of a Catholic term, and it wasn't a, necessarily a virgin birth. It could have been. Um, by the way, we have no evidence whatsoever that Abraham and Saraha ever knew each other as husband and wife. I know that may seem unthinkable to some people, but the rabbis have commented on this multiple times. Like when he's crossing into Egypt and, he, and they're crossing at the river and he sees her ankles and he's like, whoa, you're a really beautiful woman. And they, they ask, why in the world does he, because she lifts up her dress not to get wet. And they're like, why is he, has he not seen her ankles before? I mean, there's, there's some things in there that makes it look like Abraham never knew uh, Sarah. I'm not saying he did it. Point being, uh, there, there's a divine intervention, Yahuwah, that Yitzhak is born. All right? That's one way. Second was the sacrifice, the ascending offering on Yerushalayim, right? Remember, the idea is that he didn't descend and go down to Babylon. And the third is the marriage to his bride. All right. Interestingly enough, uh, when we see this right here in the... Um, Let's see, Bereshith, uh, uh, we just read this, that Eliezer is referred to as servant, master, and man. And these are the three titles given to Eliezer, not to Yitzhak, but Eliezer. And, of course, these are three titles that are also given to Mashiach, servant, master, and man. Uh, let's see, we see, uh, let her be the one you have appointed for your, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just missed up. These are for Yitzhak. All right. I don't know why I went over to Eliezer. We see that uh, you have appointed for your servant Yitzhak. So Yitzhak is servant. And then we see uh, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And he replied, it is my Adonai, my master. All right. So those are three titles that are given to Mashiach that we see with Yitzhak. All right. Interestingly enough here too, one thing I love about this passage it's such a freeing passage because, you know, for years I was in the, the wedding industry and traveled all over. I was a wedding photographer. And in that process, I became so jaded towards the American wedding experience where uh, the, the, I think this is like 15 years ago at this point. The average wedding back then was like $50,000 for a day. All right. Uh, there, of course, some weddings would climb up to like $200,000. Um, and this is back when, you know, it was popular to like bring like Elton John or Mick Jagger or whatever. Like Elton John was literally uh, uh, putting him a price tag on the table that you could hire him to be your wedding singer. Like he was literally doing that. And it was a very elite thing where, you know, you're you're bringing all your parents' friends and all these, you know, you're trying to impress all these people and all this pressure. And um, with this here, we like the, the ultimate wedding experience in the Bible, the way the Bible defines a union between a man and a woman is you have a woman who says, I will take this man. And the man says, I will take this woman. And of course, there's witnesses. There were servants. There was, there was Eliezer. There was others. And it says he took her into his mother's tent. He took her and said, that was it. And she was his woman. And it's like, wow, that was simple. That saved $50,000 right there. Uh, 
And I want to be real clear here that that should be, well, first of all, that should be freeing for a lot of people listening. Like you want to get married, you want to take a woman, you make, you just make the covenant together and you go into the tent. You have witnesses, of course, but that's not to take it lightly either. It's not like, oh, well, I can just go have, you know, sex with a woman. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, this is a serious commitment. Like you are committing to, you know, to journey towards being a, a, a union of Ruakoth, which very few people accomplish, right? But still, this is very freeing. All right. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. How she, you know, she puts on the veil, slips off the camel, they go in the tent together. Bada bing. All right, Abraham and um, and Keturah. Abraham prospered, and he took a woman whose name was Keturah. Now, I'll remind you that according to like the Talmud, rabbinical literature, they say that this was uh, Hagar. Uh, that that after Saraha died, that he went to make his relationship with um, Hagar official as his woman, his wife. And uh, I'll, I'll show you why I disagree with that. And she bore him Zamaran and Yakushan and Medan and uh, Midian, I think that's Midian, and uh, Yashabak and Sha'uak. And Yakushan begot Shaba'a and Dadan, and the sons of Dadan were Asha Uram and Lata Uashayam and Lama Yam, and the sons of Midian were um, Eya, Faha, and Apar, and Chanak, and Abayad Day and Allah, um, I was gonna say Aladdin, Alada Yadaha, all were descendants from uh, Kuta Uraha. Abraham left all that was with him to Yitchak, but to the sons of the secondary women that Abraham had, Abraham gave fortunes and sent them from his son Yitchak. I like that uh, 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 Pamela put fortunes there. He, he still gave him a lot of money. Right, they they went away. They didn't go away empty-handed, but it, it wasn't really the essence, you know, that he gave them. He gave it to Yitzhak during his own life to the east. So during Abraham's life, before he died, he sent them away from his son Yitzhak to the east of the eastern country. And of course, a lot of people will emphasize that this is really where, like, these sons may have left very bitter some of them, because this is where the bitterness towards the Hebrews really began. And we see that, you know, when uh, Yasharal is coming out of Mitrim, they're trying to cross over that a lot of them be like, yep, not coming on our highway. You know, they, from that moment on, they wanted to, you know, take the inheritance away from them. One of the reasons why it was so important why Abraham bought that field. And of course, we see that Canaan already went into Shem's land, right? Canaan is already occupying Shem. Shem's uh, inheritance. These are the days of the life of Abraham that he lived 175 years. So Abraham breathed out his life and died, a fine gray-haired old man and satisfied, and they placed him with his people. And his sons Yitchak and Yishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah on the east in the state of Ephron, uh, the son of Zachar, the uh, Chathayah, which is before Mamre. The field which Abraham bought from the sons of Chath. There Abraham was buried with Sharaha, his woman. After the death of Abraham, Alahayam prospered Yitchak, his son, and he resided at the Well of Vision. So we still see him uh, residing at the Well of Vision. 
Now this concludes the, the tour portion. We got done good time tonight, but I still have some things I want to cover before I close shop. Mainly I want to talk about Katira, this, uh, this wife that Abraham took on, this woman after Sharaha died. Now, as I mentioned, according to rabbinical tradition, uh, she is Hagar. But then here's what the writings of Abraham states. This same year I took to wife Petira, the daughter of my old friend Abimelech, king of Gerar, who was dead. So according to this, Abimelech has already died. Uh, in, in Yasher, it talks about how uh, Abimelech was actually a title and that Abimelech's son then took on the name of Abimelech, kind of like Melchizedek. And I also have the theory that, you know, there were three or four consecutive Nimrods, too, who kind of have this title of Nimrod. Keturah bore me six sons, so that in all I received of Yahuwaha eight sons and 328 daughters. Uh, I need to backtrack this. And according to the writings of Abraham, uh, by the time he went back to marry uh, Sharaha and confront Nimrod, he had like bunch of daughters like hundreds of daughters uh not one son though uh yishmael was his first son thus did yahuwah increase me greatly besides the many sons who were adopted to me and of course eliezer was one of the sons adopted and that's i increased continually before yahuwah now this is what this is what's interesting about uh about keturah being a, a daughter of abimelech okay so let's connect these pieces According now, now, if the the rabbinical culture is correct, um, you you could make an interesting case for uh, for the Midianites coming from Hagar because, according to the writings of Abraham, Pharaoh also became a Melchizedek. All right, he became a he was initiated into the order of the Melchizedeks. Well, this is what we read about Abimelech. After the destruction of the cities of the plains, I, Abraham, journeyed to the south of the land of Gerar. So this would have happened uh, to last Torah portion. I already lost track. But after Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed, he goes to Abimelech. Now the king of the land of Gerar, Gerar was Abimelech, and he was one who worshipped the Most High Elohim, and he was just and upright in all his ways. And Abimelech, so pay attention to this, Abimelech had entered the holy order of Elohim and was a priest and a king after the order of the Most High Elohim, we would say Alahayam, and had received the rights and ordinances of the good news. So the holy order of Alahayam is the Melchizedek the order. But, again, but then get this. As a youth, he had dwelt with me, Abraham, in the city of Shalom, and he was as a brother unto me, and we shared all things. And of course, the key there is they shared all things. Um, so the idea is that Abimelech went to the school of Shem, which Abraham couldn't even get Yishmael to go to the school of Shem. And we later learned with Yitzhak that uh, he couldn't get Esau to go to the school of Shem, but he could get Yaakov to go. Okay, so. Um, and then moving on now, we jump over to Yasher. I'm not going to read too much from this. But this talks about the children of Keturah. And it was at that time that Abraham again took a wife in his old age, and her name was Keturah from the land of Canaan. And she bare unto him Zimran, Jokshan, Midian, and Midian. All right. 
Uh, and it goes on to say that the children of Midian, they went to the mountain at the east and they built themselves six cities in which they dwelt until this day. What is the mountain in the east? It's Mount Sinai. All right. So when we later learned that Moshe goes and marries a daughter from a priest of Midian, it, it appears to me, because there's a lot of mystery around what this priest of Midian is, it seems to me that this is the Mechilzadek order. And it makes sense when you're looking at Keturah being a daughter of a priest or someone initiated into the holy order of Alahayam, the Mechilzadek order. All right. Um, a few more facts on Keturah before I close for the night. Hopefully you guys are all doing good. You guys are hanging in there with me. Wow, there's a lot of uh, messages posted here. I'm sorry I missed a lot of them. This is what happens when I only have one screen. I'm sorry I'm missing a lot of them tonight. I, I like to read what you guys post. Keturah, her name actually means spices. And so certain tribes associated with the spice trade have long been suspected as being descendants of Abraham and Keturah. Now, the... Um, it was the Midianites, they were merchants who brought Yosef, who bought Yosef from his brothers. Kind of interesting. Uh, their territory was located on the Arabian Peninsula over there uh, by Sinai area. Um, and uh, of course, these are the same Midianites in the same region where Moshe fled from. Mitchrim, you guys know the story. And Moshe's wife was the daughter of the priest of Midian. I think it was in the Kilzedek order. Um, one last thought. Um, it is important to note that we were talking before we went live. I was talking with the group about Islam, the Muslims. It's important to note that the modern Arabs are descended of Ishmael. Some of them are from Esau as well, but from Ishmael. And guess what? They're the Semites, all right? A Semite is someone who is descended from Shem. And so you know how, like, People will accuse, maybe accuse you of being anti-Semitic. What that means is, is that you're acknowledging that not everyone who claims to be a Semite is a Semite. They're from the children of, say, Yapeth, right? So if you if you're not from, if you're not descended directly from Shem as your patriarch of your family, you're not a Semite. All right. And so it's kind of interesting. That as we uh, speak in a little bit of coded language here, but it's kind of interesting when we look at Yasharel today that there are Semites that surround Yasharel. And can it be said that everyone who is living in the land today uh, are Semites? Are they actually from Shem? Uh, because, you know, the media is not going to tell you that there's uh, the people surrounding it are claiming that they're not. Um, and of course, genetic tests will confirm that. Uh, just open that can of worm, uh, can of worms. Also interesting to point out here, one of the things I was talking to my group beforehand is uh, Allah Hayam and Allah, right? This is one of the things that trips people out when they hear me say Allah Hayam uh, in the paleo. And the, the Semites around that area who are descended from Abraham through, uh, through his wife, Keturah, uh, they refer to Allah. They say there is no God but, but Allah. So, you know, when you get into this whole thing where you start recognizing that Yahuwaha is not the most high, that he's actually the son of the most high. He is 
who would later be incarnate as Yehusha HaMashiach, that there, there's some truth to what they're saying. They're saying that the Most High is Allah, Allah Hayam, but they also are saying that they're not in a covenant with Yahuwah, right? And that in itself is tragic, right? Um, but I think that, you know, it's one of those things I've said in past weeks. I think I said two weeks ago when I closed that when you get like Christian culture and Jewish culture versus Islam, Islam's over here, and then you got the Christians and the Jews over here, and everyone is shouting at each other and nobody's really listening to each other. And if you could, if you could just, if we could just be like, I don't know, just kind of shut up and just sit down and listen to them, you know, I think that we would find a lot more common ground than not, you know. Um, and um, I think that we can lead much more people to, I, I've said this so many times before, there are many Elohim guys. I mean, there really are. There's, there's many Elohim. And I choose to be in a covenant with Yahuwah, the son of the Most High. He is my uh, Allah Hayam. He is my Elohim. I choose to worship him. Other people can choose other Elohim. I choose to worship him. Um, you know, you, you can pray to a God and that God might hear it. Maybe not. Um, but, um, you know, I think that we could, we could win over so many more, um, in Islam, you know, just not focus so much on our differences. And, um, but if we all recognize that we are children of Abraham, I showed you the, the passage where those who honor Abraham would be blessed. Right. And we can all recognize that Abraham is our father. So uh, I'm going to close on that note. Uh, wow. I, I've got like 40 minutes left, but uh, this was the uh, it was a very simple kind of straightforward passage. And I'll say, oh, one more thing that it's interesting, too, that it does end by saying that um, Yitzhak was comforted when Rivka went into his tent and comforted from the death of what Sharaha, his mother. And so this is where it really is. That like, even though she is dead by the time we begin this tour portion, it ends with her too. And like her spirit is kind of just, it's just throughout this whole passage here. It's, it's really felt and this, this weight of her passing. And um, something maybe if I do this again next year, maybe I'll put more of a focus on, on why uh, Yitzhak for three years felt so haunted by the death of his mother and you know i didn't really put any focus on it tonight, but you really get that when you read yasher and it was the idea that he and his father abraham were tested and tried by hasatan on the road to uh yerushalayim or the city that would become that uh with the the sacrifice whereas their mother sarah sharaha she you know hasatan appeared to her and she died um, so I think that that really haunted them for a long time. And it we see here it ends with um, them being comforted. So thank you, everyone, for listening in tonight. Um, I'm all out of words. I have nothing more to say. Next week, for those of you who return, Michael, who some of you remember, uh, uh, teamed up with me. We went through uh, Hebrew Revelation, uh, Hebrew Yochanan, uh, Hebrew Yaakov, and Jude, uh, Yehuda. And we also went through the uh, Aramaic Targum, at least like the first 20, 22, 23, right about this point uh, together. 
Uh, he's going to be joining to, uh, next week. He's going to have a lot of observations. We'll be going through the paleo together. Something to look forward to. I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I wish I had Michael on more often, and I'm hopefully going to make a point of that of bringing him on. And um, hopefully you'll make this a tradition. Like I said, please don't forget to uh, join us next week at 7 p.m. Eastern time on my Discord channel. Come over there, be a part of the discussion, jump in. We had a great conversation. We were talking about so much different stuff. It was really, it was wild and uh, really enjoyed it. All right. Um, and also one more thing, since I have you all, uh, I'm going to be giving it a small break. I will be back in 10, 15, 20 minutes tops. I'm going to try to make it about 10 minutes. I'm going to be back and we're um, be live again tonight. And I'm going to be finishing up uh, Book of Wisdom. Uh, last time I read it was like three or four weeks ago. I've got two chapters left. They are phenomenal chapters. They are it, it just the best two chapters of the whole book as far as I'm concerned. I'm looking forward to reading those for you guys tonight. We'll finish the Book of Wisdom. And uh, so Shabbat Shalom. Uh, for those of you that uh, won't be continuing on, Shabbat Shalom one last time tonight, guys. Thank you for being here.